Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which two fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Leeds United, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Elland Road. I'm John McKenzie, the current chair of Foreshore Fans Anonymous, and I'm joined by Josh Hobbs, the man who waits around on the internet to get pissed off by Neil Warnock. Josh, how's it going? <laughs> yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Just a little bit annoyed by Neil today, but that's that's okay. Yeah, tough day for you. Just talk sport being helmets, really, isn't it? I haven't even seen any of it, so... Uh, it's just nonsense. It's just nonsense. I'm happy to keep it that way as well. You're not missing out, mate. December. It was a interesting month. We've got plenty of stuff to talk about. It was an up and down month for us. It started off on the up and became down and sort of weirdly ended at... Uh, quite a high despite the fact that it felt as though we'd spent a lot of time not doing what we'd wanted to do so I think the best thing to do is to just jump in I'll just run through the games quickly so that everyone knows where we're at and then we can look at the games individually quickly and then we've got some transfer stuff to do at the end so the first game we played in December was the Huddersfield game away uh, which ended up being a 2-0 win which I think looks a little bit more comfortable than it actually was got goals from Alioski in the 50th minute and then a late goal from Hernandez. We'll talk about the way that Huddersfield causes a lot of problems in that game, which I think maybe have been repeated by other teams that we've played since then. After that, we played Hull. I've found it hard thinking back over this game. It seems a little bit of a non-entity game to me. We kept their wingers quiet and had a sort of quietly comfortable win, despite the fact that we relied on a a Jordi Deves' own goal around the 70th minute and then a late goal from Alioski but nothing nothing bothering us there and then the turning point from that lovely winning run that we had Cardiff 3-3 so much to talk about here that I'll, I'll just leave it at that goodness yeah 3-0 up ended up drawing 3-3 conceding a goal in the 88th minute which was not ideal and that sort of turned the tides in December. That meant that we suddenly had gone from looking like we could have been 13 points clear of third place in second place, or what would have been first had, had we won that, I think. And from then on, it just sort of went went a little bit pear-shaped. A loss away at Fulham, 
stuff to talk about there. A lucky Mitrovic penalty early on, an equaliser from Bamford, but then we did what we always do and gave away a goal from a set piece. Then we had Preston visiting us, a game that's turned out to be a, a dour 1-1 draw, but saw us fight back from, from a, a fairly early goal down. Again, Preston causing us problems with pressing, and I wonder whether or not we'll see more of that as we go into the future. And then the the final game in, in December, which is the madness of, of Birmingham away, which ended up us winning 5-4 with a uh, Wes Harding own goal in the 90-plus fifth minute. That game almost defies any sort of analysis, so it'll be <laughs> interesting to hear what you've got to say about that. So yeah. I, I'll start you off with a, with a fairly general question. How do you feel about December when you view it from a, a, a sort of bird's eye view? The form was descending. That's, the, I guess, the clear thing to say. It felt like we got progressively worse as the month went on because that Birmingham game, I honestly felt like that was that was our worst performance in a lot of ways. But we managed to pick up a win, which stopped us from going four games without a win. So, pleased about that. Our points was good. We, we were nearly at two points a game in the month because of the strong start to the month. It was a difficult month. But um, when I look back on it, the overall, um, I'm actually happy with it. We had a better points per game in the month than Brentford, who everyone is saying is the big threat, which I agree they are. And their last five games were better than our last five games. And we also had a better points per game than West Brom as well, as we obviously came from second into first. So I think we have to say... It was a challenging month, but overall, it could have been much worse than that. So well, I think we will improve from December. We just sort of came out at the end of the month in first place, despite the fact that it felt as though we barely won in the month. But like you say, there was those two early games and then the Birmingham result was obviously very useful for us. And we sort of relied on West Brom stuttering a little bit as well. Yeah, it was really strange because the start of the month... We obviously won those first two games. And it, if we'd kept a clean sheet against Cardiff, which we looked like doing for an hour of that game, then we would have been on a run of five games without conceding a goal. And then suddenly we conceded the same amount that we'd conceded all season up until that point in the next like five games. So it was, it was crazy to see the defence go like that, but... As we've been saying a lot on um, the Twitter account, we think that there's a lot more to it than just the back four or the back three, whatever we happen to do. Although there definitely have been some individual errors from Casilla in the Cardiff game particularly. I just felt like he, in punching the ball to Tomlin, he gave them a way back into the game that they were never going to get if they didn't score that goal, I don't think. Although... We'll talk, I'm sure, in a bit about what actually went wrong in that game. I think if they didn't score the first goal at that point, they were going to be dead in the water and we were going to win 4-5-6-0. Yeah, it was 10 goals in the first 21 games and then we conceded 10 goals in the four games after that. Yeah, which is absolutely unbelievable. It might be good to talk about the defence now because... I feel as though that's what's changed underlying metrics-wise, although maybe not quite so much as people might think. It's weirdly changed the way that we feel as a team. It feels as though we were originally a team who were very tight defensively and were struggling to score goals. And now we feel like we're a team who 
don't struggle to score goals, but we do struggle to keep a clean sheet. And that happened in a very short space of time. And I wondered whether or not you had any suggestions for why that might have been the case. Well, I think, like, as we know, the, the set pieces thing has been something that's a pattern throughout the season, that we would concede goals from set pieces. But it's the open play ones that are they've sort of come from nowhere. So the way we we allowed, I think the Glatzel goal was the first one in the month. So the equaliser against Cardiff, that was the first one from open play that we'd conceded in a very long time. And it just seemed to come from, they completely bypassed our midfield there, which has always been, I think the way we've screened the midfield as a team has been very impressive so obviously Phillips but also Click and whoever else was playing in midfield previously for sure early in the season we were just strangling teams from any opportunity from open play the Preston goal we obviously lost the ball just in their final third and I mean they counted straight through the middle and we haven't seen a goal like that at any point in the season really I found that concerning, but then when I reflect on that, I think, well, we're missing so many players in midfield and they are going to come back. We don't don't know about Forshaw, but... May he rest in peace. (laughs) We know Shackleton is coming back soon. He's being brought back slowly through the under-23s because I think they don't want to push him too early and get him injured again. Hernandez, who you don't think of as a defensive player, but he's defensive in the sense of when Hernandez plays, Leeds completely dominate the ball and teams just don't have opportunities to attack us in that in that way. Yeah, there's the, the Pete McKeever yeah. data viz that was out that showed that Leeds have not been losing when Hernandez has been on the field for the whole season, which is a, re- a remarkable stat in many respects. Yeah, yeah. You don't think of players like that as defensive, but in, in a Bielsa system, everyone is... A, is defensive in the same way that everyone's attacking. I would say as well that the corollary of having Hernandez off has been that partly that we've been playing Costa on, on in the wide areas as well. I know that we played Hernandez as a as a sort of inside eight um, for for a little period when when Costa was was playing, but when when you have I think Click and Dallas and Costa all in that midfield area, then I do think that we're a lot weaker. So yeah, I think that that's also probably been a root cause of some of the the, the problems that we've had. I've got a question here from Joe Wingfield, but it might be good to go in as well because I think we should talk about shots conceded. How do our shots conceded versus goals conceded stats fare against us against the rest of the teams in the league? It seems that we don't concede chances that often, but when we do, we concede quite frequently. And I think the point that you've made before is that I think, I can't remember which goal it was, but it must have been the first Cardiff goal. We hadn't conceded many before that, but it felt as though after that point, we almost conceded 100% of the shots on target that we conceded. So have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't have the answer to first part of the question off the top of my head but what I can say because I'm keeping track of shots that we're conceding in the box in every game this season and um, in the Cardiff game we conceded 50% of the shots that were in the box ended up as a goal and then that was true as well in the next game against Fulham obviously one of those being a penalty so he only gave away four shots in the box. Both of those ended up goals. And then against Birmingham, it was a 
0.44% conversion rate of box shots. And that, I mean, that's ridiculous as conversion rate. But that is the story of our season, that when we do lose games or draw games, teams have to have a, a stupidly high box shot conversion rate. So in games that Leeds have dropped points... Uh, our opponents have averaged 26% nearly, so 25.93% for box shots ending up in goals, whereas our actual average in the league is 16.54. And I believe that the league average for box shots ending up in goals, it's around about the 12-13% mark. So teams have to be like ridiculously clinical to ever take points from us because we're still not giving away that many box shots we have gone up in recent weeks but yeah that run there we conceded 50% of box shots in two games in a row then only 16.67 against Preston back up to 44.44 against Birmingham and then 16.67 again uh, against West Brom, so still higher than your average. Let's talk a little bit about psychology because I do think I hate talking about psychology because it's it's obviously unquantifiable by any metric that we have. But it does feel as though there was a clear psychological dip that happened after that first Cardiff goal. Do you think that there is a sort of psychological element to to Leeds United, and and why do you think it is the case that we do seem to fail to prevent chances from going in more than other teams? And it does seem as though as soon as we're under pressure, there is that correlation there. Mm. I think there's more pressure on Leeds than any other team. I think because of last season, there's that like desperation to prove that they they won't do that again, and in that does that sort of become a self-fulfilling prophecy but also there's the weight of fan expectation is like nothing else I don't think there's another team in the league that has that sort of almost that attitude of like I think when the first Cardiff goal went in there is an attitude amongst amongst fans of like oh here we go whereas you you would just think oh but we're still not going to lose this we're 3-1 up and absolutely destroying this team but I saw loads of things on Twitter. As soon as that goal went in, Leeds don't do this, don't do this. And I mean, <laughs> even I was one one of those people because I, I sort of felt all along they could hurt us by putting balls into the box. So I didn't want them getting any foothold in the game. Obviously, that's what happened. But I, I don't think that the Cardiff game was actually like a breakdown from the mental side of things. I think that was a bit of a freak. And then the Fulham one was like, we lost that game mostly because of a, because of that penalty decision. Those two games in a row where we drop points makes you suddenly say, oh no, here we go. But I I think that could be sort of putting the narrative there rather than that's what actually happened. I think that we still did everything right against Cardiff apart from putting the free kick into the box after Nketiah was fouled and Morrison was sent off. I just felt like that was naive. But I still didn't think that was a mental issue. That was just like a stupid mistake. I guess I would say that it feels as though when you go into that kind of run on the back of having been 3-0 up in that game 
and you concede 50% of your box shots, you then concede 50% of your box shots in the next game, um, and then close to 50% in the the game following that, uh, well, with one in between. I know I know we can constantly say things like, well, you know, you just don't expect the, the statistics to unfold in that way. But I, I, I guess the only explanation I could have for that is that when a little bit of nervousness seeps into the defensive side of the game, then it, it feels as though um, perhaps you have a case for making an argument from psychology. And I know that Mark Thompson put out some stats looking at the areas in which the, the goals we conceded uh, this season, of um, which they came from. And set pieces and coming from the left-hand side, chances coming from the left-hand side are, are, are hugely influential in, in the stats this season. I mean, even on Monday night against Arsenal, we got a goal coming in very similar circumstances whereby a player gets in behind the full-back and uh, cuts the ball across and it, and it ends up going in from usually not a particularly good chance. So I suppose there there is a question about the fact that we are so susceptible from that area. Let's just press on talked as much about the Cardiff game as, as we might want to I think we've talked as much about the Fulham game as we might want to I think Fulham pressed fairly well but didn't have to do very much for their goals so I think a lot of Fulham fans thought that they were well worth that win when in effect it didn't feel as though they had to create their chances at all they, they had two set pieces and that was that um, now you might say that's football and I suppose it is but I think most people were fairly convinced that the penalty wasn't a penalty and as we've said, you know, game state impacts everything. So as soon as you're a goal down away from home at a at a place like Fulham, it's going to be an upward struggle. And we did well to get back in the game, but then obviously gave away another set piece. So I don't think there's much more to say about Fulham. Preston, I think, is, a, is an interesting one because it was, I think, maybe the first sign that, you know, Leeds could sort of break out of that downward spiral that they were in or maybe a spiral is a little bit too negative a, a term to use there but they were again Leeds went 1-0 down they had that 20 minutes at the beginning of the game where Preston pressed them very impressively and Leeds did well to come back and obviously turn the game around uh, found out ways to overcome the, the Preston press and uh, they did well in, in the end to get a draw um, and then obviously after that we've had the uh, the coming back from the near disaster at Birmingham, and then we had a coming back from a goal down against West Brom that happened on on New Year's Day. So, how do you feel about that as a as as a narrative? Do you think do you find those kind of ideas convincing that Leeds sort of developed steel in those games, or do you think it's more to do with the fact that, as we've been saying, if you consistently put up possession figures the way that we have been? then eventually you are going to get goals. I mean, in the Preston game, we, we laid siege to their goal from pretty much the beginning of the second half onwards. And so it, it did seem as though that goal was coming. And equally, I think against West Brom, we looked as though we were up for scoring. Yeah, the Preston game, I think that was really key for the mentality. Being able to come back after a bad start, yeah, was vital. I think if we hadn't, scored that goal then people would have really asked questions like hang on a minute lost two in a row and drawn against Cardiff when we should have won like now there's real problems of course we still dropped points there and I think I I personally felt before the game I felt confident we would beat Preston but I didn't expect the game to start in the way that it did 
and it was disappointing to concede having seemed like we'd actually come through their best part of the game it sort of felt like okay they've come flying out the blocks we've done well not to let a goal in now let's establish ourselves and in that first time that we tried to do that we conceded but yeah as you said the goal was always coming and the Birmingham one as well like I I think that for me had the most worrying signs in terms of play however in the old intangibles I think we we come out well from that because we can say hey Luke Ayling stepped up as a leader he would not allow us to drop points in that game even though I, I would say he he was one of those that lost his man on a couple of occasions for conceding goals but he was just kept on driving us forwards Dallas I, again I didn't feel he had a good game in the middle probably against Preston or Birmingham but in both of those games he came up with important goals so even though we we played poorly we drove on to, to get the win and that and that was really important because if we hadn't won that game then we're talking about not having won since the first week of the month basically that would have been concerning yeah I think there's two topics there that we should maybe focus on one is Stuart Dallas in midfield which I think we've both been quite negative about uh, particularly on the Twitter account the other one is I think um, you mentioned there Luke Ayling not not defending well in the Birmingham game, but I think again I'd make a case that the 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 root cause of that defensive lack was was probably traceable back to Alioski forcing the back four into basically a back three and Luke Ayling sort of being caught between one of their forward players and then a wide player but again that comes down to and I think this is what we we've been we've been banging this drum for a long time is that so much of what we do is about transitioning from defensive scenarios to attacking scenarios. I think what a lot of people don't realise about football is that it's not simply about attack versus defence. It's about getting the team in an attacking formation into a defensive formation and vice versa. And so Leeds obviously defend in a one-to-one system. and They, they do a very good job of, of stymieing teams by doing that. But that means when they regain possession, they have to do a lot of work to get into an attacking formation that is going to work for them. And that requires that players uh, move the ball around well, they keep the ball well, and also they move down the field quickly. And I think what we saw against Preston and what we saw against Birmingham was that we were losing the ball in scenarios the Preston goal is a great example because we lost the ball in a in an attacking transition. Click lost the ball after we'd broken their press, after we'd uh, overcome what, as you said, what what they'd been doing well from the beginning, and as and as a result of that, our formation was completely unfitted to to defend against them running at us with pace. Well, they just went straight through the middle, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. And uh, the, so the issue is, I think, in those scenarios, we expect the defence to do a lot. And usually, because we're in a, a attacking transition, Alioski is usually miles out of the equation. And so we've seen a few goals this season where where Alioski has been has been done down the down the inside or the outside, and and they've got him behind him. And it means that we've go we go from having a back four to having a back three. And if they attack as a four, it means that Luke Ayling has to make a decision about which one of those two players he marks. And I think that's what happened against Birmingham. There was a few occasions where he was having to defend a player who usually Ben White would defend, but Ben White was covering a player that Liam Cooper would usually defend, but Liam Cooper was covering the player that uh, Alioski would usually defend. And so the whole defence just shifted across there. 
And so for me, again, that comes from from that inability to control key parts of the game. And that's why I think both of us are quite critical of Stuart Dallas in the central midfield area, because we don't feel as though he works as well as obviously someone like Forshaw, but even um, people like Shackleton and Robbie Gotts, who we saw on Monday. So I don't know if you've got anything that you wanted to add to that, but I think for me... A lot of the problems that we had in that in that it's all well and good to talk about psychological frailties and whatever. I do think those are there, but I do think as well, losing Hernandez, losing Forshaw, losing Shackleton has meant that we've started conceding goals that our system does allow because we've talked about this all season about the way that we attack down the right. Um, build do build up play around the right and try and switch it to the left and have the left back support the left winger with the with the proviso that you know Calvin will at some point shift across and cover that area but when you lose the ball in the uh, the attacking transition Calvin hasn't had that chance to move across into that area and so Cooper is left isolated a little bit which means the defense is out of whack so I do think that the issues that we've had in this last run of, of games even through December have been personnel issues rather than tactical or or uh, strategic issues yeah, I, I mean, I'd, I do agree. And I'd say in the Birmingham game, you could really see that we just did not have, we didn't control the ball. Like it it was just constantly coming back at us because, I mean, in that game, we, we only had 51% possession, which, I mean, some would be like, oh, well, that's basically equal. But our usual possession is in the, the 65% mark. So we're used to completely dominating teams. That's why our defence is so good because we keep the ball away from our own goal a lot of the time. Whereas in that game, we didn't have ball-playing midfielders who were comfortable to just pass it around, hold it, keep it away from Birmingham. So it was always coming back. I do feel that Alioski, in the last few games, yeah, he's he's been very indisciplined in terms of position. And I think we've seen our man-marking system uh, we've seen the issues with it. If one person loses their marker, then someone comes across as Alioski sort of abandoned his post to come inside to go to Bellingham for their first goal. And then suddenly Harrison's out of position, Alioski's out of position, Eddie's chasing back. They play one pass and they're in. For me, I'm ready to have Barry Douglas back, but that's that's my agenda. The question that we had about this was from Jim Barry, which was, was there anything that suggested the 5-4 game was coming? Anything sticking out to as to why we are suddenly losing goals more frequently? And I think that's it for us. Uh, the issue is a midfield problem, which means that the, the defence is often caught out as a result of uh, losing the ball in those transitions from an attacking situation to a defensive situation. And that's where we're so vulnerable. I, I'm sure you would agree with that. Is there anything else you wanted to say about any of the games in, in December in particular? Because if not, we've, we should move on to some questions, I think. No, I'm good. Then we'll move on to some general questions and then we'll move on to do some transfer watch things. And if we've got some time when we could potentially talk about Arsenal, but Arsenal didn't technically happen in December. So let's go for general stuff first. So Barney's got a question about Harrison. Just thoughts on Harrison's successful season so far. Um, I know that we were both talking on Monday about how impressed we've been with Harrison now. You said that you'd completely 180'd on him. So what's caused that in your opinion of Harrison? I've been really impressed with Harrison. I've realised 
that as much as he is frustrating, uh, because I think sometimes his his decision making can be lacking. I mean, his goal contributions have gone up massively. I think he's already exceeded what he had last season. He's up there as our top assists, and he's he's pushing on for top assists in the league. So he's got six assists. Above him, there is Barry Bannon on seven, Jed Wallace on seven, and then Pereira on eight and Eliasson on nine. So those are top players in the league that he's he's up there with. So, I mean, some people will say, oh, we should be getting loads of assists in this team. But I think end of the day, you can't you can't argue of what he's what he's putting up now. We've always said about Harrison is that he's such a linchpin in the team in terms of our attacking system. That so much goes through him, and that I think as a result of that, one, he's in higher risk situations all the time. He's always the one driving to the box and having to isolate fullbacks one on one, and and sometimes even getting doubled up on. Uh, that just means he will lose the ball more often. His decision making at times has been questionable, but I think he's getting better in that regard. And I think now, you know, he. He's he is a more confident player. I think last season we saw, particularly in the Wigan game, I think it's the one that stands out for a lot of supporters that he looked a bit one-dimensional and a little bit of pressure on him, and he just didn't seem to have anything to to offer. And now I think we're seeing a much more a player with much more guile. I think we're seeing a player with much more experience, and we're seeing a player who can go both hit the byline and cut back or cut inside and and then have the option of a shot but also uh, can lay it back to the edge of the box as well so I think he's just become a really well-rounded player this season. I thought it was interesting in that video of Bamford and Ailing commentating on a game where Harrison shot first time and scored and they sort of jokingly said oh he normally just spins and spins and spins which I I thought that was funny because that's obviously the kind of criticism that he might get thrown at him by fans. It's just funny that the players also would sort of jokingly say that as well, but they obviously see all the good things that, that he brings to the team and I'm pleased that he's doing really well. Um, I think he'll be big for us second half of the season as well. Yeah, I think it's interesting you mentioned that because I think one of the things that was that, that Harrison was in danger of was becoming too predictable and if you're a wide player, you can't become predictable because if your fullback knows what you're going to do every time, you just cease to be, you cease to be dangerous at all. Um, and so it's nice now seeing that he can go both ways he can dribble into the box he can take a shot and he's as a result of that I think he's turned into a really really dangerous player for us and you know we've we've been saying the whole season the issues with our team isn't that Bamford's not scoring enough it's that no one else is scoring enough and so for him to up his productivity is, is really important for us now a question for you this is your favourite question I think can, can we compare Alioski <laughs> to Douglas as left wing backs that's from Andy Clark <laughs> I'm not going to say anything about stats I think just in terms of style wise I think Alioski brings that sort of crazy energy he's a brilliant presser although I I noted that perhaps that's more well utilized uh, when he's on the wing because I thought his pressing was amazing against Arsenal but at wing back that can at times pull him out of position um, whereas Douglas is a little bit more I guess conservative as, as a wing back and I think he just gives us a bit more it gives a bit more confidence on the ball. He's better in passing out from the back. He gives us a bit more control. I think back to the first month of the season 
where we had Douglas in at left back. We had Foreshaw in midfield. We were just in complete control of every game. We might not have won every game because of our finishing, but I think I still think that the first month of the season was our most impressive month in performance terms. And I, I feel that he was a big part of that. And I, I do hope that he, that Douglas gets back in to start. One of the things that we'd said about Douglas is that the reason he wasn't playing is because he wasn't quite so good under pressure. But I think any fears that we had about that perhaps dispelled after his performance against Arsenal. Now, Arsenal did press poorly, but I thought that it's clear that Douglas has been working hard on his ability to play the ball out from uh, under pressure. And that is what we need from him. If he can do that, then he's the perfect player for us. Yeah, maybe he doesn't get forward as much as Alioski, but equally, we're not going to see players get in behind him as much as we do when, when Alioski plays as well. So um, it will be good to see how, how um, Douglas is utilised. And actually, arguably, there's a case to be made that if Leeds go up, then then Douglas will be the better of the left-backs p- for precisely that reason. You're, the Premier League isn't like the Championship in, insofar as you're not expecting classic wingers to get in behind fullbacks and try and get the ball across it's a different type of game and I think we saw that against Arsenal that Douglas was was really quite well suited for that for that kind of game so I think in terms of in terms of that side of the uh, of the issue I think I'm, I'm quite comfortable with Douglas and would like to see him come in for the second half of the season and really establish himself there with the proviso that you can bring Alioski on late in games and he causes problems so I, I think that's probably the way around that I would play it yeah I agree We've got a question from Ben Stead, a man who's only one letter away from Bedstead, incidentally. But <laughs> statistically speaking, who has been a bigger loss this season, for sure, or Pablo? It's a good question, actually. I mean, I don't, again, I've not really delved into the statistics of it and I think the problem with doing that is one Forshaw has played seven games this season um, and two Forshaw and Pablo play completely different positions so we're looking at different things but I I guess a sort of gut feeling response to this question how would you go about answering that who would you say that we've missed more well I mean if you go to that tweet that we shared before that had goal difference based on uh, playing time of any particular player it says here, top 20 Skybet Championship players this season ranked by the team's goal difference whilst they've been playing. Pablo Hernandez is top of that. So I, I guess statistically you can say it's Pablo Hernandez because Leeds' goal difference per per 90 uh, with him on the field is 1.44 and Forshaw, who is also in the top five, is 1.08. So... That's the answer, I I guess. I would say, just as a proviso, that if you look at number two on that list, (laughs) you may start questioning the usefulness of this as a metric. (laughs) For those that haven't seen this, number two on the list is Charlie Adam. So um, maybe that's voided my point (laughs) completely. Uh, Yeah, there's way too much noise going on there for that to be a useful metric. But I do think that it is indicative in the case of Hernandez, and for sure, actually, but mainly because when Forshaw and Hernandez have been playing, they've Lee's have rarely been losing. I think Forshaw was brought on the second half against Charlton when they were already a goal down. Um, and other than that, he's been on the field when they're winning. And as we said before, Leeds have only been winning when Hernandez is on the pitch. And so that would explain those two metrics, I suppose. The question is whether or not you think we've, we've missed control more than we've missed creativity. Mm, yeah, I, I mean, we've actually scored... A ridi- like a ridiculous amount of goals without Hernandez, you mean? Yeah, so you could say, hey, 
you know, we're, we're not missing him that much. I, I would disagree with that because obviously I think he, he brings us dominating the ball. He creates space for other people to score. But yeah, I think Forshaw is one of our biggest misses. I think both of them are, but it just so happens that right now we've got Forshaw, Hernandez, Shackleton and Roberts all out and therefore we're playing. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Someone that's never played in midfield in midfield that's obviously going to be a big problem yeah i totally agree i think any team would miss either of those two players um and to, to be fair i mean we, we talk about control versus creativity but you know i i've been looking as i do sometimes i'm just looking at for sure stats at the beginning of the season and he was he was just as creative really as as pablo was perhaps not directly but his deep progressions are good his he does have decent xga and you know the the things he just does everything all around well i think the only i think the only statistic where he's below average against the league is interceptions everything else he's above average for, for in every area and that's just an incredible ability to have Pablo's a little bit more specialist and obviously will be stronger in in the more creative areas than the defensive areas but um for sure is, is a real a really useful player to have and we're missing him a lot um so I I, I don't want to come down on this um because I, I again I, I do think that you know I think I could I think we could miss for sure for most of the season and go up um and we could miss Hernandez for most of the season and go up but as things are that as you mentioned before when we didn't have for sure there was a marked difference in the lack of control that we had and I don't think we 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 would have that that kind of lack of control uh lack of control if we missed Hernandez for the same sort of period so I think I would say if you're valuing control obviously for sure has been a big miss if you're valuing creativity and the ability to progress the ball then then Hernandez is a big miss but they're both fundamental to the system that we play which is spatial manipulation moving the ball through the opposition um in terms of both good passing and good movement and and those two I think are probably the best two players that we have at that in in the team yeah no arguments there so that for me covers December let's get on to talking a little bit about transfer watch I wanted to begin with just a little conversation about the January transfer window in general because I feel as though there is a real sense in the Leeds fan base that the January transfer window is really important and there's a couple of things I would say uh, to that the first one being if people think that we're 
in such dire need of players at this point in the season. That doesn't mean to say that the January transfer window is useful or good. It means that we've not been good enough in our uh, assessments in in the summer to build a squad that should be able to stand the test of time that the season presents. So I've been pretty down on the January transfer window because I am a firm believer that the January trans- transfer window is is more desperate than anything. I think if anyone is looking to boost their squad during the January transfer window, it means that you've either just had a, a nightmare with injuries uh, or your your probably your squad building project is is not up to scratch and should be and should be maybe maybe sorted out. You just don't buy good players in January because players' contracts run out in June. And so if you're trying to bring in a player outside of that cycle, then the team that that player is playing for knows that they can hold the power. It's a sign that your own club hasn't really managed their own assets properly. Clubs plan for the season very particularly. So why should they suffer for you mismanaging your season? So as a result of that, I think the January transfer window is probably a little bit overblown, particularly by Leeds fans who think that had we made certain transfers, then the whole season would have been saved. We know that Marcelo Bielsa takes a while to get his players up and running. And we know that whoever is brought in won't necessarily be a quick fix. They'll be playing back up in certain positions. And I think that's all by way of context. That said, we do need certain players. We've identified probably four positions, perhaps three positions that, that do need to be sorted. I think cent- central midfield is one. Um, striker is one. A wide player to replace Jack Clark is one. And then goalkeeper. So... With that in mind, I just wondered what you thought was the ordering of of priority in terms of the positions that are most important. Which do you think we certainly need to sort out and then which do you think are the lowest priority? Striker is number one. I just think we we cannot for the rest of the season with Bamford as our as our only striker. I mean, we could throw out name Tyler Roberts here, but I don't want to rely on Roberts for any position. He's a player that I like to have in the squad, but he's not player that I want to think we will particularly uh, have to call on a lot over the second half of the season because we've just seen over his time at Leeds that he can only play about four games without uh, before he picks up another injury. That's a real shame because he's really talented. So that would lead me to two, which is midfield, because again, Roberts is, is an option there as one of the advanced eights or the ten I think if if everyone who we have in that area of the pitch is fit we have no problems but I mean we're we're seeing all of them out at the same time uh, for a long period of time now and even though Shackleton is just coming back he's not been able to stay fit all season I think he's only made three appearances and he's a young player He's not the one that I would really want to rely on. I want to see minutes. I don't want to rely on him. Uh, and for sure, if he's fit, I'm not concerned. But I I just, I honestly expect to see a statement at some point that says Forshaw's out for the season. So as we've said, we don't want to see Stuart Dallas continue there. So that's number two for me. Then I would say a winger, because even though Clark was not getting games I don't think he was he was really pushing himself forward to get games I don't I don't think he looked great from what I saw in the under 23s and I think from his illness onwards he's just looked a shadow of the player that we first saw in a lead shirt um so if 
for example, someone like Freeman was available, who, by the way, I don't think is available. But if he was, that's a player that would actually improve us as a squad. He could he could come in and, and uh, make a real difference in games where we needed a spark. He could be something coming off the bench, but also he would. I think he would push Harrison, he would push Costa for starts. And in goal, uh, I'm I'm not too concerned, to be honest. I know that we are looking for a goalkeeper, but if if it sounds like we're bringing in either some journeyman goalkeeper who's just going to be on the bench or a teenager who's just going to be on the bench, I mean, we've got Miazek for that, uh, or Huffer, who's, who's played a first-team game for us. And Meslier impressed me a lot against Arsenal. I know that's only one performance, but if he's who the club want to start, I'm not too fussed on who else we're going to get. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all of those. I think the the one point that I would make to maybe question things a little bit is that you've gone with striker one, obviously, and then midfielder two. We've obviously got a striker who is completely adept at playing a striker at the moment at the moment we're struggling for a midfielder and so it's, there's a weird scenario there where we, we've got to bring in a striker who is going to be able to play back up to a starting striker where feasibly we are looking to bring in a midfielder who has to play starting midfielder fairly early on and so I guess that doesn't necessarily change my priority of, of, of what we're going to get but I feel as though it's much easier to get a backup striker than it is to get a, a midfielder who you're happy to start from from the off. Do you think we actually will though? There's part of me that thinks the club are going to say well we're, we're stocked in this position unless they do know that for sure is out uh, and they're just keeping that quiet whilst they try and find someone. Yeah, I mean, look, we're just speculating at this point. I think that it would be very unlikely that we would get a decent midfielder in the January window. Whereas I think, you know, if we brought in someone... I mean, again, all of this is just speculation and people are just sort of saying names of people that they've heard of. But let's take as a random example, Glenn Murray, who I think is, in many respects, a sort of fairly laughable solution to this problem for, for various reasons. I think, you I mean, you could feasibly get him on the bench and it wouldn't really make a difference. He might come on for like 10, 20 minutes here and there, but you're not going to say that your whole season hangs on how well he performs. Whereas we want someone... When you're bringing in a central midfielder, say Forshaw is 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 out for the rest of the season, he goes off for an op. There's a one. There's the potential that he may be done and maybe his career over. In which case, you don't want to upset the cycle of your development by having to bring in someone who you then have just sitting on your books and you want to get rid of. And I don't think we're going to be able to get someone of the caliber of a player that we need until the summer. So. You, you end up having this this really horrible problem where you can't really get a player good enough for the position anyway. And even if you sort of get someone who's passable, you then have them hanging around on the books. So my concern would be that the, the central midfield position concerns me more than the striker position. And so I would probably have the central midfielder as the priority position and the striker just sort of be... I mean, they'll have a good idea of people that they can just have as, as options. And, you know, like, fair enough, we, we want a good striker on the bench who can come off. But like at the end of the day, if we don't have that, it's not going to turn our season around in the way that actually, if Forshaw is out, if Shackleton picks up another injury, if Roberts picks up another injury or, or rumbles on with his current injury, then I, I genuinely think that that's where we've had issues this season. We've, we've had games where Bamford hasn't scored as many as we'd want, but the real slump 
slump we've had in our season was when we've had a central midfield who aren't functioning and that's what worries me more I think than than not having a striker but let's move on let's uh, I've just got a few a couple of things so Phil Hay on the Athletic he was he was on um, the the Athletics transfer podcast so he's mentioned Elia Caprila who is um, Kievo's 18 year old keeper sounds not, I don't want to say similar to Meslier because Caprillo has only played 13 times in Primavera Uno, which is the youth league in, in the Serie A's youth league. So he's not had any senior appearances, really. I think maybe a couple of cup appearances. But as I said, when we when when Phil Hay was talking about Meslier in response to the Kiko injury, Meslier played a full season in Ligue 2, which is comparative to um, the championship. Maybe the quality is a little bit more um, varied uh, across the league, but he played a full season in that position, and so we shouldn't be too worried about him. If he if he was terrible, he would he wouldn't have played that full season for for Lorient in France. So I do think that Meslier. We've said before, you know, Meslier. Yes, there's a, there's a sort of sense of nervousness with him, but this guy's an 18 year old keeper who's who's already got a full season under his belt. He'll, I think, he'll be very good. We said uh, on Monday he's brilliant with his feet. He's cool under pressure. He's his kicking is good. His um, he's very good at saving things, and he doesn't have that sort of tens- tendency to to sort of madness that Kiko has. He doesn't... Now, perhaps that's an issue. Maybe we, we didn't get to see his handling that much, but um, the, I think there's a potential that, that Meslier could be better than Kiko. Um, Kiko minus the eccentricity of, of just sort of flapping at balls. So I, I don't think there's any worry there. The only other things to say is... So for Phil Hay said... Leeds are still looking for Che Adams. Southampton have said they don't want to get, they don't want to um, have him off on loan. But a few Championship clubs are interested. I think Forest are interested and um, West Brom as well. So that was what Phil said. I did see rumours going around that Hazen Huttle's sort of claims that he didn't want Adams to move on was simply him sort of washing his hands of the situation now again that's speculative but obviously Che Adams is, is would be a target that we would we would both be happy bringing in don't know if you wanted to say anything about Che Adams at this point uh, yeah I mean something I saw earlier I think it was on Baron Cross's Q&A on Leeds Live uh, he said that that would be likely to be a loan to buy so similar to Costa and that would probably mean that Southampton would want to know they were going to get their money back, bearing in mind that they spent £15 million on him, that we could be talking about going into next summer already already committing to £30 million. I don't think we'll end up with him. I think we will probably have to move on quicker than Southampton might be able to get somebody else in and therefore let him go. I think the club are maybe pushing the name out there because it shows it shows intent and it satisfies the fans as a well-known target. Uh, maybe maybe I'm being uh, cynical about that, but he he just feels unrealistic to me. I would love it if we got him, but I'm doubting it. I guess in response to the the Che Adams stuff, obviously I think we we both think that he'd be a great player in our system. I think he's a good pressing striker, um, but he's also got a goal scoring threat, which I suppose is what what people's criticism of of Bamford is. But like you say, yeah, there's a certain economic risk involved in the whole project, which is just you know, is it all or nothing? Are we just going for it um, and saying we're just we're just banking on getting into the Premier League? And I think if that's the the stake of of the of the transfer then i just i find it 
unlikely that it might happen just because Radrizzani has done nothing to suggest that he wants to throw money and, and see this problem solved. So I can't see that happening unless he's sold the club on. The other thing is Graham Smith's elusive mystery international striker. Uh, and again, there was, I think, the suggestion that there's a domestic winger who's who's been done. I don't know if I believe either of those two things. It just sounds way too spurious to me. I feel like those are the ones that are probably more realistic because they're probably like it's probably a very obscure international striker that's played once and scored mm-hmm. and another kid on loan. Yeah. Those names not being pushed out there because they're probably underwhelming names. Potentially. Very pessimistic by me there. Yeah, but they, equally it could be Leeds are always bringing in players behind the scenes. I think of players like uh, Liam McCarron, someone like that, who they, they bring in over the summer and they're one for the future. And you, it may just be the case that they've been they've had their eye on these players for a while, and it's got nothing to do with the actual first team at all. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But we've got a couple of questions here. So. Uh, Geordie Phillips says, who do you think is a reasonable shout for the international striker we've been looking at? Also, Phil Hay seems to reckon if we were to get Adams, it may be on a loan to buy move. Do we reckon with the coaching under Bielsa, he would be a good Prem addition if we were to go up? So a couple of things there. I think we've we've answered the international striker one. I don't think he will be a prominent player at all. I'd, I'd be very surprised. Uh, in terms of the Che Adams, if we go up, I think that would yeah certainly be a good good signing. I think, as we've said, it's a financial risk because you're I think he's only good as a signing if we are to get into the Premier League because we don't want to end up in a situation where we've got um, a, a huge debt lying over our heads from, from Costa and Adams who all both have been banking on getting into the Premier League and then not making it. So um, I think there's a lot of risk and I don't know whether or not Radrasani, and I think rightly so, wants to go through that risk, but we will wait and see. After that, we've got some, I guess, interesting sort of Sort of transfery question. So, we've got a question from LUFC Meal Deal One, uh, the the wonderfully named LUFC Meal Deal One. One wonders what happened to his first account. Could Leeds play how Man City did against Man United yesterday if Bamford got injured? Uh, and then a question from Captain Tricks: Would you expect using the same system and Bamford, but with the wingers who can finish? Would we then be more effective? I know we don't play Barca, Liverpool front three, but I think Harrison and Costa should be getting more goals and we need this to get us over the line. Um, so I guess those are sort of questions both touching on how we would play if we were only to have Bamford as an option. So Man City yesterday played a sort of weird 4-2-4 hybrid with with Kevin De Bruyne and uh, Bernardo Silva playing as, as sort of like false nines. <laughs> would we play like that? Perhaps, but... I mean, when you've got players of the quality of Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva, that's, that's fine. Um, I wouldn't particularly like to see Matthias Click and um, Stuart Dallas playing as false nines, perhaps. But do, have you got any thoughts on that? I just thought I'd throw those in there. I think they're interesting questions, and I do wonder whether or not we could get away with not playing a striker. I wouldn't want to, but we do have the system that sort of emphasises playing as a system rather than playing as a striker in front of a system. So thoughts on that? I don't see a need to do that. Not that Man City perhaps particularly needed to do that, but Leeds are dominating the championship in terms of chance creation, playing in the way that we do play. So why change it? 
I think I agree with that too. And again, it's it's a question of risk, isn't it? It's not we shouldn't be going into the second half of the season just being like, oh well, we don't have the players that we need, and we're not going to be able to get them. Of course, I know that I'm very negative on the whole January transfer window, but we are in a scenario where we do need players, and we have to do the best with what we've got now. No doubt, Victor Orta has been watching players for a while, but people say this, you know, what Victor Orta's job is to bring in players, of course, but Victor Orta's job is mainly to bring in players in the summer, and that whole cycle is thrown out when you have to start getting players in January so for me that's that's the issue but we should bring this podcast to a close it's been a it's been a real schlep for both of us it's involved (laughs) you saving small children from nightmares and me having to run to the shops and pick up some more batteries so it feels as though it's been a a, a real voyage that we've made with one another but fun editing Yeah. What I should say is, uh, what should I say? I should say, if you like what we do, then we do run a Patreon page. We do put out podcasts there at regular intervals, hopefully a couple at least a month. We will have one with Jamie Kemp coming up soon. We're also going to do a special with hopefully someone who knows a bit more about Bielsa's training techniques than we do. And those, those two will be coming out later in the month. Other than that, Josh, you've just got a piece that's come out on Matthias Click versus Arsenal. Do you want to say something about that? I had a bit of time this afternoon, my lunch break, and I was just particularly struck in how Click just looked head and shoulders better than Xhaka. So I just I, I wrote about that and the way that he completely pressed him out of the game, really, and just caused him to have to foul him constantly. So it just has a few clips uh, that I thought were particularly interesting. Yeah, and I should also say we passed 6,000 followers on Twitter this week, which is great. We've only been around for about five, six months, so we're doing really, really well. And a lot of that is down to the fact that uh, you listeners are very keen to hear what we have to say. I've been very positive. It was nice to meet some of you on Monday at the at the game or before the game at the pub. Um, so thank you very much for, for listening, and we will hope to bring you more content as the weeks go on. One final thing is the... Friday shows are now back as of this week so uh, there will be a Love Sport Radio show out this Friday as well but uh, until then it's goodbye from me and goodbye from Josh and we hope to speak to you again soon deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.